And everyone said, maybe seated. If you're uh, tuning in for the first time, we are in a series that I'm calling Untwisted, which is a study of the fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians chapter 5. One of the things that we've been saying week after week after week is that there is no denying that human beings are twisted, that there is a, a bent in us, there is a warp in us, and there is nothing that we see out there on the horizon or anywhere near or far from us that would convince us that we're able to untwist ourselves. But here's the good news. God loves to untwist the twisted. God loves to untwist the twisted. When you become a disciple of Jesus, when you become a Christian, you are saved initially at first, and you will be in God's eternity at the end. But between the reconciliation with God and the resurrection at the end of time, there is renewal. You become a new kind of a human being. In fact, the human being you were always meant to be. God's Spirit is a power that comes into you to help you become what you were always meant to be, which is a beauty, a beauty on the earth. And the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is a description of what a disciple of Jesus becomes when he walks on a daily basis with the Spirit of God. Uh, we spent a couple of weeks talking about how that happens. If you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to go find those first two sermons in this, message, in this series of messages. Last week, we began to talk about that first element or component or descriptor of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And before I move on to the next one, I want to spend at least one more week talking, giving a thought or two on what love is really all about. And I want to begin by reminding us of a passage we know very well. It's the baptism of Jesus at the end of Matthew chapter 3. At the end of that chapter, Jesus is traveling from Galilee in the north down to the south to the area of the Jordan River where a relative, a cousin of his by the name of John, who has the nickname the Baptizer, is preaching and preparing people's hearts and minds for the coming of the Messiah and baptizing them. And, and Jesus goes down to where he's baptizing, and there's probably a little bit of a private moment here. And he goes to John, and he says, I need you, cousin, to baptize me. And John the Baptist looks at him and says, no, 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 no. I know who you are. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says in verse 15, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And you know the story. Jesus and John, uh, John go out into the Jordan. He is baptized. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, there are three things that happen. The Holy Spirit alights on him, which means that it came down sort of like in the form of a dove or a bird and settled on Jesus. And then there's a voice from heaven, the voice of God that says, this is my son. Holy Spirit, my son, Third thing, in Him I am pleased. Now, we speed forward about nearly 2,000 years. It's April 22nd, 1974. My father baptizes my brother Byron and me. We go down into the water of that old baptistry at the Bel Air Church of Christ. We confess our faith. And our Father submerges us down into the water. And when we come up, we're kind of sputtering and spewing. And He hugs us. But it's in that moment that, according to Jesus, we are given new birth. We are born again. 
You'll remember in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus, the old Pharisee, comes to see Jesus at night and Jesus is talking to him about the kingdom of God. He says, you can't go into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. That is, you are born of water and spirit. And not only were we forgiven all of our sins, but the Spirit of God, according to Peter in, in Acts chapter 2, when we were given, is this uh, too loud for you guys? seems like it's popping a little bit. Is, that, is it okay? In Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter tells the disciples or the, or the folks there in Jerusalem that are cut to the heart that they need to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they will receive uh, forgiveness of their sin, and not only that, they will receive the Holy Spirit. And every day since then, not only in my life and my brother's life, and, but in your life, the Holy Spirit has been doing something incredible every day. And that is to testify that you too, like God says to Jesus on the Jordan River, that you too are a son in whom he is well pleased. Three scriptures, Galatians chapter 4. Paul says, because you are his sons, meaning sons and daughters, his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. In Romans chapter 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 15, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, to, to being a child of God. And by Him, that is the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You know what happened in my baptism, your baptism, and everyone since the time of Jesus? The same thing that happened at Jesus' baptism. Holy Spirit as a gift settling in on us. The, the Spirit of God is given to us, and that Spirit testifies that we are His sons, and it is through that Spirit that God's love is poured into our hearts. To become a son or a daughter of God means a lot of things. But here are two to think about this morning. First, you are in God's family as a son or a daughter. You belong. You matter. You belong to God's family. And you are loved by God as a son or a daughter. I want us to do something a little bit different this morning. I want us to take about 15 seconds right now and just clear our minds. Let's just get real quiet, and let's clear our minds. 15 seconds. And now I want you to listen very carefully. God loves you the way a father loves his children. I just want us to think about that just for a moment. I, I'm really indebted to some teaching by a fellow by the name of Richard Beck, a professor at Abilene Christian, helping me to understand some things about self-esteem in the Western world. Uh, self-esteem in our Western world is based on three things. As we become more secularized, we are moving away from God towards other ways of discovering and, and discerning who we are as human beings. And in the Western world, it's based on three things. Self-evaluation, comparison and performance but when you think about it it's sort of the old faust tale right 
It's, a, it's, a, it's the devil's bargain where we turn away from God like Faust does in order to make a deal with the devil to get what we think it is that really matters in life. We abandon God to find our significance in other places. But we do not reach our dreams as we self-evaluate our life. We do not measure up to the images of success that are in our culture, nor do we achieve all of the first-place trophies and, and, and blue ribbons of society. And so in the way that our self-esteem in the Western world is formed, it is always flowing out of or being formed out of deficit. We never measure up. We never compare favorably. We never perform the way that we want to. And our self-esteem flows out of a deficit, and we don't feel the acceptance, which is at the core of love, which means that we begin to really struggle with how to live a life of love in this world. Because love does not come from God. Love becomes defined as what I can get out of you. I love you for what I can get out of you. Or love becomes defined as, I love you to this point, but when it gets tough, no further. It's hard as a disciple of Jesus, as a church, a community of faith, and disciples of Jesus in this community, for us to give away what we don't have. But in reality, you matter because you matter to God. Think about it in three different areas. God's creation. God's creation shows love the way that a loving parent creates a space for their children. Creation is not a place for humans to just barely survive, for humans to just kind of barely get by, to barely find room to breathe, but it was a place that was created for us to thrive and to flourish and to know pleasure and to know good things. I mean, think about pineapples and kiwi and potatoes and asparagus. There's no reason for all of those things to be created except that God doesn't want us just to eat to survive, but to give us pleasure, to give us enjoyment in this life. I mean, they taste great. I love asparagus. Or think about salvation. Salvation is more than just you being forgiven. Salvation is more than just, you know, the, the, the slate being wiped clean of all of the things that you and God know that you have done as a crime against creation, right? Salvation is more than just being forgiven. Salvation is about you being rescued. You were rescued. The creator of the universe did not just stand aloof, but the creator of the universe came for you and came for me to rescue us, not only from each other, but to rescue us from ourselves. It is in love that He saves us. And in love, He puts us in His forever family. He, you know, that's another thing that just we, we, we need to just at times reflect on the fact that God doesn't just say, okay, you're forgiven, we can go our own ways. But He reconciled us to Him. God rescued us because He wants us to be in His forever family, which means that God, at great length and great sacrifice through the cross, through the loss of His Son, all of that has made it possible for us to never be separated from Him or He from us ever again. Now, many have said it in different ways. Let me say it this way this morning. Love is not just our duty. Love is our destiny. Love is not just our duty, it's something that we do. But we are destined for a place and an environment, an eternity 
of love. Love is our destiny. Think about all of the things in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we think are so great. Prophecies going away. Tongues will stop. Knowledge, it's going to pass. But what is it that doesn't fail? What is it that doesn't fall apart? What is it that doesn't end? Love. It's not just our duty. It's our destiny. And this is the kind of a human being that populates the church. And, and, and this is why wherever there is a church, wherever there is a group of God's people, there is hope. There is hope because love just radiates out. Our hearts have been so filled to the overflow of God's love that it just spills out into the lives around us. I want to end with this well-known story of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. It's, it's just, you know, that last week of his life before the cross. It's the end of time that Jesus is talking about somewhere down in the future. And Jesus is coming with his angels. Judgment is about to take place. Sheep to the right, goats to the left. And the judgment in verse 40 is based on how the sheep and the goats have responded to what Jesus calls the least of these, my brothers. And he says, verse 34, to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and to go visit you? And Jesus says, when you did it to them, you did it to me. A lot has been made identifying who the least of these my brothers are. There are at least five different interpretations from the distressed people of the world in general to disciples who are sharing the gospel during a time of persecution. To me, that is not the most interesting part at all in this story. To me, the most interesting part is the lack of self-awareness, the lack of consciousness, the selflessness of those. I mean, it was just so natural. It wasn't because they saw Jesus. It was just so natural for them to feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and to clothe the naked and to show hospitality to the stranger, to care for the sick, to visit the prisoner. They didn't realize that, that what they were doing to the least of these, that they were doing to the Christ. They didn't understand all the kingdom of God nuances that Jesus is talking about there. They were simply radiating God's love in them to the people around them. You know, showing love can be intimidating by the sheer number in need and complicated by the, the scope of issues that we can become paralyzed and inactive people of love. And that must never be, church. So let us just simplify. I was recently reading a book 
by Jeff Henderson where I came across a phrase that as soon as I heard it, I knew I was going to share it with you. And the phrase is this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Just start there. You know, we speak so much of the changes that have been wrought by the pandemic, and it's true. There are lots of changes that COVID-19's brought, lots of loss, lots of heartbreak, lots of grief. As disciples of Jesus, you know, we hope and we anticipate and we look to a future that has even greater change than COVID-19 could ever bring into this present life. In God's eternity, the only loss will be the loss of pain, the loss of suffering, the loss of evil, loss of death. The, the only heartbreak will be the kind that comes when your heart just breaks at, at beauty, when the sky is so blue that it brings a tear to your eye. You see a smile, on the, an expression on the face of a child that's just so absolutely innocent that it breaks your heart. That's what we look forward to. And it begins when God puts His Spirit in us and our sins are forgiven and we realize that we're a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. And in between that moment when we are brought in to His kingdom and that moment when we see Him face to face, He is continually pouring into our heart his love and his spirit is testifying that you and you and you and I are his children. Let's stand and sing.